Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see half of your faces. It's better than no faces, so really great to be here. just want to say that um, there's something quite incredible happening in about 40 or so days. Erwin uh, and Sam, how many days is it now? 47. 47 days until they tie the knot. So we're very excited for them. Very, very excited, yeah. Um, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm being very disciplined right now. When my mind starts going into all naughty things I want to say, um, but I will refrain. I'll be, I'll be uh, godly. <laughs> Holy Spirit strong. Okay, <laughs> for church this morning. All right. So as Jason said, we are continuing with Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're in the, in the middle um, section where Jesus is revealing the true meaning behind the various parts of the laws in the Old Testament. And um, in Matthew 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So now, basically what Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees were not obviously upholding the law um, in such a way that you could really say that they were being righteous. And so Jesus is actually telling his disciples and therefore telling us as we are disciples of Jesus if we are in relationship with him, is that our righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees. And so that is why he um, really wanted um, to, to preach, I think, this sermon, to actually let people know that the laws weren't just there um, for the law's sake, but there was so much more to it. And so we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at uh, truth, we're going to look at oaths, and basically we are looking at integrity. And I'm going to read from Matthew 5, verse 33 to 37, and you can follow along with me um, on the screen, or uh, the uh, notes are also in the Version app. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, this is Jesus speaking, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, maybe some of you are sitting here and say, well, I can turn my hair white or black. Well, all I can tell you is once you've done it on the outside, the inside grows back out gray or white, okay? So um, 
<laughs> we live in a society, we live in a world that makes it really hard for us to achieve what we have been hearing about the last few weeks and what we're going to be talking about today. We live in a society that doesn't make it easy to be a truthful person or a person of integrity. And so I really, really want us to have open hearts today to hear what God has to say to you. Because I can say one thing or I can say 10 things, but it might be different for each person. So let's be open to what God has to say. And can you join me as we pray together? Father, thank you so much that we get to gather together here today in person, that we get to hear your word. Jesus, that you get to teach us what it means to be righteous, what it means to be more and more the person that you have created us to be. Please will you help us today to hear what you want us to hear, to have open arts, arts, hearts, to um, allow you to minister to us what we need to hear. That it won't just be about some good words and some nice feeling scriptures, but it will actually be life-changing and transforming. Please will you do that in our life, in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. So, in this passage, Jesus is talking about the importance of what we say and also how we say it and are we honoring what we say. Um, you know that saying, talk is cheap. So as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we need to make sure that our words line up with our actions and that our actions line up with what we've just said. We actually need to be um, people where our talk isn't cheap, Okay. And whenever I, I think about this topic of lying or truthfulness, it always reminds me of the old fable, which we've probably all heard of, um, about the boy who cried wolf. And um, I actually love this fable because it, it really just sums it up so well. So for those of you that just need a quick reminder, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, this boy had some sheep that he took care of, and every day he would go to the field with his sheep so that they could graze, so that they could run around and, and have a good time. But he was getting bored. So he, he thought to himself, I'm going to have a little bit of fun with the people in the town. And um, he decided that he was going to cry wolf. And so this day, he cried out, wolf, wolf. And the townspeople came running and realized that there was no wolf. And they said, no, man, don't be like that. Don't call us if there's no wolf. You know, you have to be honest. Anyway, next day, he thought, ah, you know what? This is so much fun. I'm going to do it again. And so he cried, wolf, wolf. And the townspeople came running. And they said to him, little boy, if you do this again, we are not going to come running because we don't believe you. And of course, he didn't believe that they wouldn't come. So the next day, he's bored. He's out in the field with his sheep, and he calls again, wolf, wolf, and nobody comes running. Nobody comes to save him from the fact that there was actually a wolf. Because that day, there was a wolf, and so he really needed their help, and nobody turned up. And what happened was he lost some, some sheep to the, wolf, to, to the wolf, some ran away, and that was his livelihood, and so he was left with less than what he needed to survive. And so what is the lesson that the boy learned and that I believe that we can all learn from that fable? People don't believe liars even when they are telling the truth. 
I want to say it again. People don't believe liars even when they are telling the truth. If your reputation has become one where your word is not um, honest, where you are known as a liar, where you are known to exaggerate, then when you do tell the truth, unfortunately, it'll be very hard for people to believe you. So I actually want to unpack this Matthew 5, 33 to 37 for us a little bit. And um, if we go back to the first verse, verse 33, it says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. So why did the Israelites have to take oaths? Why did they have to make oaths? Now, in the Old Testament, we'll see um, quite a few times that God guaranteed the fulfillment of his promises with an oath. So God was the first one to do that. And we see it, for example, with um, Noah, where um, after the flood waters of the whole earth had, had gone down, God promised Noah that he would never again flood the whole earth, that all life would be lost. And he made that oath with a rainbow. And so we actually see in verse um, in Genesis 9, verse 9, it says, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. So God was the first one to make oaths. And so what then happened was in the same way, um, in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites, the Jews, the, the people um, then, um, they were allowed to swear on the name of God. They were allowed to validate what they were saying by taking oaths, by, by making a vow um, as a commitment to the promise that they were making. So um, that was how um, they could remain faithful to what they had said, that they wouldn't break their promise. And so the law actually demanded that um, what you were swearing on, so if you were swearing on the name of God, you were bound by that oath, okay? So Jesus is, is saying that um, he doesn't want people to take an oath at all, but from what we see, that is how people kept to their word. So then we have to ask ourselves, why oaths? Why did people have to make a vow? And it's because human culture back then and human culture today has developed oaths because we cannot trust each other. Isn't that sad? We live in a world back when God first created the earth and now 2,000 years later that we cannot trust each other. And so... If you look at verse 34 to 36, where Jesus speaks about, um, uh, you know, that he doesn't want us to, to uh, make oaths at all, either by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by your head, it's almost like he was saying that people were starting to develop levels of oaths. You know, people were, were starting to say, okay, well, I'm not going to swear on God's name. I'm going to swear on earth. And the reason that they were doing that is because... Um, I think that they felt that if they swear on something less sacred or holy, if they swear on something that's not the name of God, then it's not as serious. Then maybe they can actually break their promise. They don't have to keep their vow. And since the person wasn't calling upon God's name, it didn't, um, it, it didn't keep them bound to that oath. They felt more free to sort of break their promise because they weren't using God's name. The problem 
was that the Pharisees wanted to reinterpret the law. So it was actually the Pharisees that started this level of truthfulness, this level of, like different levels of vows. And so they wanted to interpret, reinterpret the law to find a way out of being bound by oaths. So they were like, okay, if we swear on God's name, then like, we can't break that law, but maybe there's, you know, we can reinterpret the law, we can relook at it, we can readjust it so that um, it's not as serious. The problem wasn't with the Old Testament commands, but the problem was with the Pharisees trying to manipulate the oath so that they could get away with dishonesty. They wanted to get away with dishonesty. Why else would you feel the need to change um, the law, to reinterpret it? And so the increasing tendency to manipulate an oath um, then caused it to become less valuable. Because now your word isn't your word anymore. Because now you can, you know, if it's this, you know, God's name is this level, but if you're using this level, well, it doesn't matter if you break it. So obviously, I can't trust what you say. Now, it seems that people believed that if it wasn't sworn on God's name, right, it wasn't important to keep your word, which, which we've heard. But the problem with this thinking is that people thought that God's name was the ultimate um, vow, separating it from, from, let's say, the earth, the heavens, the hairs on your head, the, the city. But what they missed in all of that is that God created everything. So whether you are swearing on God's name or whether you are swearing on something God created, it's all the same. You're swearing on God's name because if he created it, if he created you, he's the creator. So there's no difference. There can't be different levels of your word. There can't be different levels of vows or oaths because it's all God's. He created it anyway. How many of you watch Survivor? Okay, we love Survivor in our house. Um, you know, the, the tension and, and, and who's gonna win, and at the moment we're actually watching the South African Survivor. Our favorite Survivor is Australian Survivor, a full 50 days. And, um, but I was thinking about it while I was preparing this message, and I thought to myself, isn't it, isn't it interesting that there's a show created where the more that you can lie, as much as possible, you can win a million bucks. Like, like, you know what? If you can lie and deceive and get people to um, blindside and say that they're gonna do this, but actually then they end up doing that, you could end up being a million rand richer. So the world, the, 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 the programs we watch are saying, come on, Let's lie, it's gonna be good for you, it's going to count in your favor. Now, obviously, I don't wanna like over, it's a show and very often people feel really bad for lying or maybe they don't, I don't know. I don't know these people personally, but it's interesting that that is what the world shows us, you know? Lie and you'll actually benefit from it. Lie, you'll actually win something. And so there must not be levels of truthfulness in your life. There must only be one level. Your word is your word. People know that they can trust you, that everything you say is as if you were saying it in a courtroom or on a stack of Bibles. 
that your word is your word. There aren't different levels to your word. And so why did Jesus say that we should not take oaths? So in verse 34, we, said, we see that Jesus says, so rather don't take an oath. One, one reason for this is because oaths actually weaken the truth. Right, so we believe that, our, that, that a person's word isn't good enough. So if you take an oath, then hopefully you'll stick to your promise. So what are we actually doing? We're actually weakening the truth. We're actually saying that um, we need your oath. We need your vow to strengthen the truth. But actually, we end up weakening it instead. That's because let's, I mean, let's be honest. Have you ever encountered a situation where a vow has been broken or an oath has been broken or a promise has been broken? It happens every day, you know? So that's why I believe Jesus said that we should not take oaths because we actually need to be so good with our own words that people will just believe us. We actually need to just be so honest with our words as Jesus followers or as Christians, and therefore assumed to be people of integrity, our daily conversation should be truthful, dependable, genuine, honest, um, and reliable without having to ever take an oath. And I do believe it's possible. And so what Jesus is saying when we look at Matthew 5 verse 37, when he says, let your yes be your yes and your no your no, is that let your yes be your yes and your no your no. That's what he's saying. In other words, he's saying, if you say yes um, over here in this part of your life, and then you go over here, you can't say no relating to that yes that you've said. Your yes must be your yes and your no your no. That is what he is encouraging us to do. In James 5 verse 12, James continues um, what Jesus said, and he says, but most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. That's why. Because if your yes becomes your no, or your no becomes your yes, then you are sinning. That's what the word says. Do you know that oaths are a poor substitute for integrity? Because if you are a person of integrity, you don't need to ever give an oath. Now, obviously, in the world today, there are times when you have to sign contracts, and, you know, th that's the world we live in, if you buy a house or you buy a car. But I'm talking about your daily interactions, your, with people that you live with, with people that you work with, with, with those around you. Your word should be your word, and there should be no reason for oaths, and it's a poor substitute for integrity. So I'm talking about integrity, and let's look at what integrity is. So the word integrity evolved from the Latin adjective integer. And the meaning um, of this word, the meaning is whole or complete. It is defined as an undivided or unbroken completeness or a state of being complete or whole. Now, I absolutely suck at maths. Like, re like, really, it was a good thing that back in the day when I was in high school, we were allowed to drop maths 
because it would have actually just made my life impossible. But I have a daughter that takes maths and is, and I've often heard her referring to integer in maths. Not that I knew what it meant, and I would just smile and nod, okay? So for those of you that have young kids, get ready for the word integer coming into your lives, okay, if you don't know what it is. But basically, an integer is a whole number. It's not a fraction, okay? So if integer is a whole number and integrity is based off the word integer, then that means that if we are a person of integrity, we are a whole person, not a fractured person. When you are um, deceitful with your words, when you are in the habit of telling lies or omitting truth, you become a fractured person. So whenever you hear the word integer one day when your kids are in high school, then you can remind yourself, am I whole or am I fractured? Is my word my word? Can people believe my yes and my no? Living with integrity means being true and authentic to our code of beliefs or worldview. It means that others can rely on us to act consistently and honestly in accordance with this code. So Matthew 5, verse 33 to to, to 37, the point of that passage, I believe, is integrity. That we need to um, make sure that our yes is our yes and that our no is is a no. That we need to be as good as our word, that we need to keep our word. That knowing that God witnesses everything we say anyway and everything we say um, or do, he's, he's there witnessing it, and if we are promising on this, that, or the other, he created it anyway. So we don't need to swear on God's name to make something official if we are people of integrity. We just have to be accountable for the words that we use. Don't you think it would be great that not only are we honest with others, but we're also honest with ourselves? Because it does something in you if you know that you are honest with others. It's just so much easier to be honest with yourself and to not start getting confused between what is truth and lying and what did I say to that person and what happened there and and, and, I'm trying to um, maybe keep things like in a fraudulent way and and like, it's just, it's so much easier to just be honest because then you can be honest with yourself and it brings a freedom. So we're talking about integrity. And you might think, okay, but I I don't really, how do I know if I'm a person of integrity? Like, what sort of things do I need to ask myself? And so I have a few questions that I want to ask you, but I really, really want you to not hear these questions and be condemned or feel bad. Nobody is perfect. Not one single person is perfect. But what this might do is just allow you to think for a moment, is this an area that I'm failing in? And maybe it's something that I need to work on. So the first question, do you say one thing but do another? Do you say that you will, I don't know, let's keep it easy, take the rubbish out on rubbish day, but you don't? Or do you say that you will pay that bill, I mean, this is all silly things, but you you kind of get the gist, right? What you say and what you do, is it the same? Do you say you believe one thing, but really you're thinking another? 
Do you say that you are committed in this relationship, but you're thinking, actually, I'm not, and I can't wait to get out of it? Are you one way in public, but another way in private? Do your private thoughts line up with your public behavior? Are you one way with your peers at work, but another way with your superiors? Do you, do you act one way with the people that you work with, but to your boss, you gossip, and you slander, and you say bad things about those that you work with, but to their face, to your peers' face, you, you, you're all for them, you're encouraging, you, you, know, you try and build them up. Are you something different where you work to what you are at church? Are you different? Are you different online than what you are in reality? What, would people online know that you love Jesus? Would they know that you're a follower of Jesus? A person with a reputation of exaggeration or lying often can't get anyone to believe their word when they are telling the truth. Unfortunately, when that becomes your reputation, it's very hard to get people to believe that you have changed. Can you get them to eventually believe you have changed? Of course. We can all build up trust again. But if that's your reputation, it's going to be very difficult to get that to change. We need to be honest. We need to keep it simple, yes and no. We need to avoid half-truths. We need to avoid lying. We need to avoid omissions of the truth. You know that saying, I just told them what they needed to hear. That's not being completely truthful. Or you tell somebody half the story because the whole story would, be a would, would make you a bad person or look like a bad person or you think you would be a, looked at as a bad person and so you leave out half of the story. When maybe just being honest would actually endear that person to you, would actually give you a, a softness towards maybe something that they failed in or something that they're struggling with because you are fully honest. And you know what? We can, we can hear all of this, and it's, and it's great, and it's, it's all the, the, the stuff that's happening outside of us, but what it boils down to is the heart of the matter. It's what's in the heart, because it's what's in the heart that comes out. So everything that we say, everything that, that we do starts in the heart. And so you need to look within. You need to look at your heart. And so if you are like a Pharisee, where you believe that as long as I do good, as long as I work my way to salvation, I'm good. If that's, if, if that's your thinking, then how do you view the law of God? This is what I think. I think that the law becomes a burden. It becomes something heavy that you're never ever going to actually be able to fully do 100% because we are not perfect people. We are not Jesus. And what happens is, is that you, you accept the law, but it is like you, you, you build up this fear of condemnation. Like, 
But if I can't stick to it, if I, if, if I can't earn my way to, to heaven, if I can't earn my salvation, I'm going to be condemned. And it, it just becomes this heaviness. And you start living like a Pharisee. And so nobody wants to feel condemned. So what do you do? You start living at levels of truthfulness. Because, okay, I'm not actually breaking that law. I'm, I'm sort of just telling a white lie, so that's okay. But what if you believed the gospel? What if you believe that you're saved by radical grace? What if you believe that Jesus has done everything for you? There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you're about to do, okay, that can get you into a relationship with, with Jesus. It's just by the radical grace of what Jesus did and what he did for, for you and for me, okay? Imagine you believe that. Now do you live in fear of God? Yes, but not the fear of condemnation, not the fear of being punished. Now you live more in a fear of, I don't want to grieve the one I love. I don't want to grieve Jesus because I love him. Now you become aware that it's not about a law, it's about a relationship. It's about the one who is right there with you. And so when you're a, a, you, know, you live like a Pharisee, you have this um, fear that is so overwhelming that it's very difficult to, to keep it up. But when you believe in the gospel, you know that Jesus is always with you. And knowing that Jesus is always with you is electrifying, is amazing. Because not only do you um, live in, in a way of boldness and confidence, you know, when I know Jesus is with me, my faith is more bold. My faith is more confident. I want to worship him. I want to live the way that he wants me to live. And I know that he's always with me. It actually says, um, D David said in Psalm 16 verse 8, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. And what does he mean by shaken? What, what David means is that when I'm just honest, when I do what I say I'm going to do, I never ever have to live in fear of regretting something that I did because Jesus is with me. He's, he's there. And because I love him, I don't want to grieve him. Who of you in this room loves somebody? Okay, 10 of us, fantastic, okay. We all love someone, okay? Yeah, it's more than the first service. It was only three in the first, so you guys are doing better? <laughs> Hallelujah, praise the Lord, okay. The thing is, is that if you love somebody, like really love them, you don't want to grieve them, you don't want to hurt them. So you do whatever you can to make sure that what you say, what you do, is, is, is going to actually be honoring, be pleasing, you know? I'll give you an example. Jason and I had a conversation yesterday where I had to own up to a certain way that I am speaking, a certain way that I am behaving in my speech that is grieving him. That, and, and I can't just get defensive. I've got to go, this is a person that I love, do I want to change? Do I want to acknowledge that I need to do something differently? I don't want to grieve my husband by having an affair. So I put 
guardrails in place. I put boundaries in place. I make sure that I live a life that's honoring to God because I don't want to grieve my husband. Jesus did so much more for me. Why would I want to grieve him? I'm here today because of what Jesus did for me. Do I always get it right? No. But I try and nip it in the bud as soon as I realize I'm grieving him and ask for, ask for forgiveness and move on. So, what do I want you to learn from this message? What do I want you to walk away with and put into practice? I want us to be people of integrity. Honesty is the best policy. I know that's so cliched, but it really is. Because when you're not honest, that it eventually catches up with you. A lack of integrity affects your trajectory and puts you on a collision course that if you don't try and rectify, will affect your destiny. A lack of integrity affects your trajectory. So if this is my destiny, okay, God, this is what you've called me to, this is who I'm meant to be, this is the person that you want me to be, and I start lying about something, and I'm 1% off course, and I keep up with that lie, I keep up with the dishonesty, I keep up with being a person that lacks integrity, next year I'm 10% off course. Eventually, I'm more and more, 30% off course, to the destiny that he has for me, and it's very hard to bring that back. You actually get yourself on a collision course. The way that you bring that back is to say, you know what? I know that this is going to cost me to tell the truth. I know this is going to be difficult. But I want to be on the path that Jesus has for me. I want to be living according to the destiny that he has for me. And so it's not enough to just sit here and listen to this message about how we should live and how we should be people of integrity and then go out there and just try really hard. The fact is, as I mentioned, that to tell the truth actually costs us something. You have to pay a price. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we don't want to tell the truth because we know it's going to cost us something. But let me tell you, there is someone in our church that a few years ago made this decision to tell the truth, and it cost them big. It cost them a lot. Like, I'm talking, their lives changed drastically. But they decided to start a journey of telling the truth, of being honest, of wanting to walk a road with Jesus beside them, and even though it costs them, the life that they're living today is one where they are living freedom. There's no fear of condemnation. They have a loving, life-giving relationship with Jesus, but it started out costing them. And so telling the truth may not get you what you want all the time. You may have to end up paying higher taxes if you want your business to be um, free from fraud. You may have to admit that you're wrong in something that happened in a relationship. You may have to be accountable to someone for a lie that you are living, but you want to change. But you know what will happen when you start doing that? The people around you will respect you for being honest. They will start believing in you 
and they'll support you so much more. Let me ask you this. Do you want the person that you are married to be, to marry to, to be a person of integrity? Do you want the person you work for to be a person of integrity? Do you want the school that your kids go to every day to have teachers and a principal who are people of integrity? Do you want our government and our president to be, be people of integrity? Do you want friends and family who are people of integrity? Of course we do. But let's turn that around. Am I a person, am I a spouse who is a person of integrity? Am I teaching my children as I send them to school to be people of integrity? The government might not be where we want it to be, but am I still a person of integrity as I'm following the laws of the land? Am I a person of integrity with my friends and my family? Even if they're not, am I still a person of integrity? What we sow, we reap. But today, I don't want you to be condemned or to feel condemned. Today, I want you to be encouraged and inspired that the gospel, the radical grace of Jesus is available to all of us to start making a change, to start being truthful and honest and becoming people of integrity so that we can change our trajectory to not be on a collision course, but to be living the life that Jesus has called us to. Can I ask you to close your eyes as I pray? Father, I just wanna thank you that we can look at your word and we can learn so much. Please would you speak to each and every one of us here today Show us where we need to start. What is the first thing we need to do to start becoming people of integrity? Is it in our workplace? Is it in our marriage? Is it with our friends? Help us to put you in your rightful place, right before us or beside us, where we can look at you and know, God, that you are someone that we do not want to grieve. We want to please you. We want to honor you with our words, with our actions, with, with everything that we do and say. Help us, God. Help us to be people of integrity. And if you're not even in a relationship with Jesus yet where you don't know how to be a person of integrity in Jesus' way, then I want to encourage you this morning to make a decision to follow Jesus to ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, to accept him as the one who died for you, as the one who offers you radical grace, and then to make the decision to start a life-giving relationship with him. And I wanna encourage you that if you're making that decision today, all you need to do is to go onto our website and start the Following Jesus course so that you can know what it means to be a Christian who walks with Jesus. So Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you love us and that you will never ever leave our side as long as we invite you to walk this journey with us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.